This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom. Righteously American. Welcome to Live Zet TV. I'm Stacey Washington, host of the show here on Stacey on the Right. And you guys know what to expect here. And today is no different. I have so much anticipation brewing within myself over our next guest. So Dr. Marilyn M. Singleton, she's also an attorney. Uh, she's out of Oakland, California. She's a board certified anesthesiologist and the immediate past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons and so much more. Thank you for joining us here on the program today. I am just honored to be here with you today. Okay, so after a couple of little scheduling things that were due in no small part, basically solely to myself, I have you here today, my captive uh, interviewee, and I'm so excited about the op-ed that you've written, which is perfectly timed for Black History Month. So Black History Month is often we, we get to celebrating. Obviously, we have our new... Um, Black History Museum on the Washington Mall. And there's a lot of different areas around the country where you can go and learn about the Black experience here in our country and our storied history that we've come out of, not everyone in America who's Black comes out of a, a slavery background, but that we have that as our national history. And now we're free. We've had our first Black president. We've had numbers of Black people serve in all areas of government, all areas of private life, specifically in the sciences and art and everything. We, we really are a part of the American experience. Yet you point out that the spirit of fake news is strong in the month of February every year because Black History Month actually makes it, it's a perfect segue for liberals and news pundits to kind of really lambast the founding fathers and be negative towards them. Talk a little bit about that. Why'd you write the piece? I wrote it. Well, one, I do believe that Black History Month has outlived its usefulness as something called its own month. Black history is part of American history. And it, and it has been, and people have been talking about it. I don't like how Black history has been used to turn Black folks into victims and to turn the founding fathers into racists, which they were not. And people need to understand the history of how this country even came together. And one of the things that bothered me so much was to hear about the three-fifths clause of the Constitution, meaning that the founders thought that black people were three-fifths of a person in some sort of a moral sense. And that's not what the three-fifths clause was all about. So talking about the three-fifths clause, it is actually probably the billy club of choice when it comes to liberals, when they want to smack down a black conservative or someone who respects the constitution or the founding of this country, they immediately say that the constitution was a flawed document and that the major flaw was the three-fifths clause and that because the founders didn't view black Americans as whole human beings 
themselves, that they were not a whole human being in the mind of the founders, that the rest of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are therefore also suspect and flawed and are not to be, uh, you know, revered, adhered to, uh, you know, studied, any of that stuff. It's just basically a trash can document that needs to be tossed. Now, this flies in the face, Dr. Singleton, of the truth of the matter, which is people literally kill themselves to get into this country illegally. People who want to come here lawfully spend between fifty dollars and $150,000 to become U.S. citizens. So if it was based on a tr uh, like a trash can constitution, people wouldn't be doing that. They would be immigrating to other countries. They would be killing themselves to move to other countries. But that's besides the point. What you've pointed out here is a quote from the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 2, which completely explains, for anyone who likes to read or believes that words have meaning, exactly what you're talking about when you say it wasn't less, any, no person was less than a person. It was specifically to take care of an issue of population size and not wanting to promulgate slavery. That's right. The thing that's fascinating about this is all it takes is a quick read of what the clause actually says. And what they were trying to do when the new constitution was being formed was one, they had to revise the rules set forth in the Continental Congress, which was several years before we actually won our freedom after the American Revolution. So the new constitution had to change some things. And one of the things in the old Continental Congress was that population was just a one-on-one -on -one vote. In the new constitution, they thought, we need to set congresspeople based on population. And they wanted one congressperson per 30,000 people. Well, this is where the three-fifths come in, because the slave owners wanted slaves counted as a whole person. And the northerners said, hold the phone here. They didn't have phones, but... They said, okay, on one hand, you want to call slaves property, and now when you want congressional representation, you want to call them persons. So you can't have it both ways. If you want to call a slave a whole person so you'll get more people in Congress, then we're going to count our cows. They're our property. Well, that kind of injected a little common sense into the issue, but there is a lot of back and forth, as you could well imagine. In fact, there's, there's reams, reams of articles written about all the arguments that went on. And what they came up with was, okay, we'll make a compromise. And the abolitionists, it actually turned out to be somewhat of a win for the abolitionists. So rather than having a slave who was never going to vote count as a whole person, the slave counted as three-fifths of a person. So the South did not get as many Congress people in Congress as they wanted. And the other thing that comes out of this is all Black people were not slaves. 10% of Black people in the first census, the 1790 census, were free. And they had been freed either, they had come as indentured servants, and indentured servants are let go anywhere between five to seven years. And just like their white counterparts, they were set free. So they were roaming around free in the United States. Then there were some slaves that were set free just because their master set them free. And then the other way many became free is something called manumission, where they bought their freedom. 
And that means they were paid a little, so they got money to buy out their freedom. And not only were there free blacks, but they could vote, the men, of course, but they could vote and even run for office. Okay, so Dr. Singleton, this is so fascinating because I think it, I just sometimes will sit back and imagine when I read articles like yours where it's just, hey, let's look at history. This is what happened. This is the documentation of you know how many people there were, what they did, et cetera. Sometimes I wonder what would happen if someone such as yourself just strolled into schools across the country. If you just did a tour and you went across you know middle schools or, or across the country and you visited black, primarily black middle schools in America, and you shared this information. And then those kids, we just, you know, leave them be so they know this truth. And, um, you know, maybe it's all three grades of middle school. And then 10 years later, you come back and look at those kids and find out how they did. I think it would be like a, a, a not a revolution, a revival of sorts across the country, because most kids, when they learn that blacks were counted as three fifths, it becomes a part of your thought process that way back when the country was founded, white Americans didn't think black Americans were whole people. They're, some of them were slaves, they were property. And even in the constitution that was enshrined until we went to war to fix it. So, you know, 800,000 or so people had to die to basically change us from furniture or livestock to people. That's not exactly the case here. And when you talk about the manumission, so the idea that people were slaves, obviously many slaves went their entire lives without being compensated. They were property from the day they were born to the day they died. They were separated from their spouse and their children, et cetera. That is the truth of slavery. But there is also the fact that manumission could not have occurred. You couldn't have purchased your own freedom had you not been compensated. So slavery is a really multifaceted, difficult historical fact that really we've taken just a sliver of it, the sliver of truth about the, the most horrible parts of slavery, that is applied to the entire experience and the rest of the truth is left off to the side, which makes it more difficult for especially children when they first learn about it, but adults as well, to understand not only was it a compromise and a win for abolitionists, but it was the only way we could form a country so that we could separate from Great Britain. It, it, we had to do it. We had to do it that way because the, the slave owners wouldn't come into the union any other way. And, and there's another thing about this. When the founding fathers are being vilified, people don't realize that many of them, and in fact, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, wanted to abolish slavery. And one, they wanted to even before we were our own country. Great Britain, did not want slavery abolished because they were making tons of money on the slave trade. So when people try to paint, oh, well, Great Britain uh, abolished slavery before we did, which wasn't really true, um, it's all a way to cast aspersions on the founding fathers, this country, and a way to make black people victims. And as you pointed out, slavery, is horrible, slavery is pre-biblical. It's been around every type of person, every citizen type of person has been a slave at one point if you read history. So we have to look at this, but look at America 
and how well we've done, how well black folks have done. And I think what I get so tired of is pointing out the victim side without pointing out the positives. And when I have spoken to students, one of the things I love to tell them about are the black inventors. And that there was, oh, let's see, back in the late 1700s, a black man that got an invention for what became our present day dry cleaning process. He got the patent and black people got patents after that. And, and it, it, it's just very interesting how these things aren't told to students. Uh, the first black doctor, me being a doctor, very interested in him. He became a doctor in the late 1700s. He practiced in New Orleans. He had uh, white patients, black patients. Dr. Benjamin Rush, who's considered the father of American medicine, thought he was one of the most brilliant doctors he'd ever worked with. And he had been a slave but his master taught him medicine and then paid him for being a nurse. And then how people became doctors back then, they did an apprenticeship. So there you have it. it. These are the stories that young folks need to hear and realize that black folks are tough. They aren't victims. So when we talk about the, uh, the, the importance of Black people in this time frame in our history, it's not just that America was built on the back of slave labor, and that, that is true. I mean, a lot of our historical buildings in Washington, D.C. were built by slave labor. Slaves built those buildings, and some of the slaves were even apprentices in uh, architecture to the, the, the men who designed the buildings. So if you go to... Uh, the, the home of Thomas Jefferson, you learn about how he trained many of his slaves in really, they had beautiful educations and they were able to do uh, animal husbandry and agriculture because he taught them how to do that because he preferred them to be capable and able to take care of the huge property there. So you talk about free blacks being in office, uh, free blacks voting at that time, the men obviously, but still a black person could vote and their voting meant something. Quote, the Dred Scott decision, you quote that in your piece, several of the states have admitted persons of color to the right of suffrage and in this view have recognized them as citizens and this has been done in the slave as well as the free states and that those votes weren't, end quote, and that those votes weren't trivial. Black votes helped to ratify the new constitution and in Baltimore, Maryland in the 1700s, more blacks than whites voted in elections. So we have a storied history in the in the as it pertains to swaying elections, uh, participating in the electoral process. This is something that blacks have done since slavery days. Another point that should be made, not just to young people, but to adults as well, who bought into this, as you correctly coined it, the victim mentality, which I, I constantly rail against it because whenever I'm watching a leftist pundit talk about how blacks need whites to be able to vote, or we need the Democratic Party to protect us from being put back in chains, as Joe Biden has infamously said, then I'll be out somewhere, Dr. Singleton, you know, and I'll have driven there myself in my late model car. Uh, you know, I pull into the parking lot and almost everyone in the parking lot is getting out of late model cars and four or five of them will be black and they have on, you know, $800 worth of designer clothing. They're holding a $1,000 cell phone and they go in and just like me, we pull our carts out and we buy whatever we want. We're not restricted in any way. And after that, we hook our cell phones up to our little Bluetooth devices and talk on the phone to whoever we're going to our next destination. 
and not one of us has been oppressed by a white person at any point during this process, nor will we be, because we're living in America as free and equal citizens, full of liberty and opportunity. And so this is information. It's the lack of information that's killing our community. People don't know what you've written about and the truth about our founding, the founding fathers, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the integral role that Blacks have played historically throughout. I mean, it's just been from day one. As soon as Black folks set foot on land here in America, we began to make an impact, just as every other people group have, because that's what makes America what it is today. Well, one thing I'd like to add, and if people read Frederick Douglass, who people talk about as one of the great black leaders, if you actually read what he had to say, he was so down on what the so-called black leaders are doing now. He, in fact, wrote about leaving black folks alone and just get out of our lives and we will succeed. Booker T. Washington wrote about, as he called it, a whole class of people who thrived on having the black man down because that's how they made their living. And he wasn't talking about white people. He was talking about the types like we have now who just live off of fomenting unrest when there is none. Not that there aren't people that are racist or negative toward black folks. We have, they will always be those people. But for the most part, as you point out, people are just scurrying around, running around with their lives and white people do not wake up every morning thinking, boy, do I hate black people. No, they're just trying to live their life. Yeah, we, we're all doing that. Um, and I think when, when we see ourselves through the lens of what someone else is doing to us, it not only prevents us from really fulfilling our potential, um, but it lessens our own experiences. Because if you think someone else, it, whether it's a real white person that you know, or um, maybe some you know kind of oligarch type white person who is very wealthy and can control different aspects of American life, quote unquote, um, you're really disenfranchising yourself. And you you talk at the very end of your piece. You I want to read this quote because I think it's so important. You say. Rectifying our social ills begins with telling the whole truth. Truth number one, the three-fifths clause was not about the relative work, worth of a black person. Truth number two, black people own slaves as workers, not family. And truth number three, all white men are not bad now or 400 years ago. So the, the, what you wrote there is it's brilliant, it's factual, it's true. How do you see this dovetailing in with our current conversation? You, on the left, you have the Democratic National Committee has a slate of candidates, and the one they like the least, Bernie Sanders, the one who's he's really not one of them, he's a socialist, but they allow him to be a part of their group, and they're going to allow him to take over their party. They're now actually plotting to create the superdelegate process again, the one that they abolished the last time they used it to subvert him. They want to resurrect it to subvert him again because they fear that if he's the nominee, he will lose, it, it will just be an, an unbelievable uh, smackdown between him and Donald Trump, he will lose. Um, and they're worried about that. They think Joe Biden would be a better candidate. And, but instead of focusing on issues and the things that you and I just discussed as we're running around the country, living our lives, all of us, not just black Americans, everyone is doing this, uh, taking advantage of the great economy and the wage growth, 
Democrats have not yet found their way to kitchen table issues to discuss with Americans why they would be better at governing than a second term of Donald Trump. They seem fixated on social issues, um, the elimination of gender, racial issues that are obviously sometimes happen, racism happens, people are going to be rude to each other and horrible to each other as long as humans are alive. Um, but they have not yet even touched on any of the main core issues that the president has been able to make successful strides in. And like Donald Trump or not, the economic metrics show that he's doing something good. Democrats have not yet begun to talk about that. Do you think they will ever pivot to those issues or will we continue to see them just focusing on race, gender, um, and, and kind of this idea that Donald Trump is not duly elected with the impeachment and all of that? I don't think they will ever come on board. If they couldn't come on board with some of the positive healthcare things, and even if you believed in Medicare for all, which likely will never happen due to monetary issues, not philosophical ones, um, that surprise medical billing, price transparency, lowering drug costs, when there were solid, solid, um, pieces of legislation that came out, but the Democrats didn't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. When some Congress people brought out uh, improving health savings accounts so people could have more control over, over their health care, one Democrat even decided to pick up the, the, the uh, pace on that, one. And of course, because Democrats control Congress, None of these healthcare things went anywhere. So instead of trying to give choice and competition to people, all they wanted to do was shoot these things down merely because it was President Trump that proposed it. And that to me is sick. If there's something that will help society, I don't care who proposed it. And I mean, look at Andrew Yang. He pops up with some pretty good ideas. And, you know, I'm willing to admit that he has some pretty good ideas. Not that I'd want him to be president, because I do like what President Trump has done. But we have to be willing to admit that not only your man has good ideas, but other people do. And we need to talk to each other about it. But the way that the left has gotten now is really kind of sickening, where you can't even open your mouth and say something that's not completely in line, and I mean 100% in line with what they're preaching, then suddenly you're a racist, sexist, homophobe, transphobe, a phobe of things you don't even know about. And, and this is wrong and will never get anywhere. And this is why I cringe when I think of how the folks pulled the Constitution together pulled this country together with people who had totally disparate ideas, but they managed to do it because they were willing to sit down and talk. And they weren't, and who knows what they said in private if they called each other names. And it's good that we don't know about that part. And, but we managed to make a great country. Yeah, you make a, you make a good point there that we don't often think about, Dr. Singleton. Um, sometimes we look at the vitriol that we have in our current politics, and it just seems to get worse and worse. 
And we assume that the founders were sitting around with their tea and, you know, three lumps and, and a, you know, a splash of milk and they had their pinkies up and they were just calmly discussing how to form a nation or how to uh, ratify the Constitution. When the fact is, if you read the Federalist Papers and other documents from that time, the newspapers especially, they tore each other to shreds. They smacked each other with gloves. They smacked each other across the face with the hand. Uh, I think one guy was killed in a duel, a, a House representative member. I, you know, with a these, stick. That's right. They, yes, one of them was whipped with a cane in the room for something that he said. So they definitely had high feelings. And um, we that's the, that's the people that we come from. As a unique people group, we Americans, Black, White, Hispanic, whatever your background, if you're a part of this country for more than, I guess, a couple generations, maybe three generations, that's the stock you're descended from. So if we're a little, you know, if we're a little crazy with our politics, it comes naturally to us. It's our, it's our uh, birthright as Americans. And so I, I, I guess I'm less concerned with the language or whether or not people are getting along as I am with everyone having an idea that we are all Americans and that, you know, you made the point that Democrats aren't working with the president on some of the ideas that anybody else proposed and they'd be on board. And I think that's what makes this so important that people are well informed by reading articles like yours and paying attention and going back and read the constitution, read the documents, because we're not cooperating with each other. We can yell and kick and scream like most family members do, but in the end, we have to sit down and say, how do we, as you just so perfectly demonstrated healthcare, surprise medical billing, um, you mentioned the the this this idea that you know we need one size fits all medical for people in America, which I I agree I don't think it's going to happen because we can't afford to pay for it. But we could do something about the HSA. I mean, we have one. I could regale you with stories for hours longer than we have left on this show of how the HSA works in some ways, and in other ways it's so idiotic. Specifically, that it has this cap on it. You can't have more money in it than a certain amount, which means from year to year. You're constantly just using what you've saved for that year. There's no opportunity to save for the next year if you have anyone in your family with a chronic medical condition. If you have more than one chronic medical condition, you will actually not have enough money in the HSA to take care of everything that you need. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we need to see them working together. The Democrats do need to come to the table, but I, I agree with you also. I don't think they will. But that doesn't stop you from writing these fantastic pieces and doing the work that you're doing, which I'm so grateful for, Dr. Singleton. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to talking to you again before the election. Thank you. Uh, so that's the show for the, today. I have so much to report, which we will do in a separate program about the March for Life, which happened here in the state of Missouri. We had a wonderful time. We had people from the National March for Life come in and hear our speeches. I got to meet Governor Parsons, the governor of the state of Missouri. And so I'll tell you all about that in the next program for uh, Stacey on the Right here on Live Set TV. Until then, God bless and have a fantastic day.